I love fashion sometimes. You wouldn't know it to look at me. I'm styled by op shops mostly. But I love looking at amazing clothes worn by glamorous people in nice lighting. Too expensive for me, usually, and a lot of cheap fashion isn't what you'd call sustainable. The waste, the exploitation of workers, the hefty carbon footprint, all of that is a problem right across the fashion industry. Sustainable fashion expert Claire Press has spent a lot of time thinking and writing about these issues, and recently she's been imagining fashion that does things differently. Her new book invites us to think about what we want out of our future wardrobes. It's called Where Next, W-E-A-R, Next, ho ho, Fashioning the Future. Claire, welcome back to Life Matters. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Right at the beginning of the book, you ask readers to imagine a world where the beauty of a garment extends beyond the product and we also value the way it's been made and the makers. How important is that if, if we were serious about changing the way fashion operates? I love that you began with connection. We've lost that connection with how our clothes are made. We used to be able to access factories and people sewing clothes quite easily just in our neighbourhoods, in our towns. But since production's moved offshore, we've become quite disconnected. I do think knowing about the process behind how our clothes are made is really important if we're going to change our relationship with them, if we're going to be more sustainable. I was a bit shocked to learn that the returns that we do when we do online shopping, most of them don't go back into circulation. Do we need to think differently about uh, convenience for starters? Oh, that's such a bad story, isn't it? I was glad to hear you say you love an op shop outfit. Of course, we can buy beautiful new clothes online and that's something that people enjoy doing. And it's convenient. And that's the way of the modern world. But I think very few people are aware of the untold story of what happens to to those clothes that we might order to try on at home and then send back. And in a nutshell, it can just be more expensive to return them to inventory than to simply destroy them. Wow. I know, crazy. Yeah, bind or burned, I think, was the phrase that stuck with me. Like, and oh it's annoying, God. isn't it? When you hear that, you feel really a bit outraged, don't you? Because we, we we aren't, if we're not aware of that, then we can't make better decisions. But actually, it, it makes you feel guilty when you find out, right? Yeah, because I trekked to the post office for that. We're mm. speaking with Claire Press, who is very into sustainable fashion. Claire, you put this out on social media saying, you know, what, what do you want, people? What, what do you think that we could do? What kinds of responses did you get? Oh, that was actually so lovely. When I began to conceive of this book, I wanted to ask ordinary, if you like, wearers of clothes like you and me, what they care about when it comes to sustainability, if they think about that at all, and and ask them that question. What sort of fashion future would you like to be part of if you know that the current way we do things is too often wasteful and exploitative? What, what would you like it to look like? And the answers were really lovely. First, I was surprised by how much people knew about how unsustainable the way we carry on today is. And then I was delighted by some of the responses, things like, I remember someone said they want it to be, um, oh, well, for example, people were talking about transparency, which, so, fashion revolution is a consumer movement which encourages us to ask who made my clothes. It's been going on for 10 years now. And so people were saying they wanted transparency in supply chains. So I was surprised by how much people knew about that. People were talking about connection, about wanting to make their own stuff, about DIY, about responsible when it comes to the environment, certainly. 
Mm. They also mentioned the word decolonise, which I thought oh, yeah. was interesting. And you talk about looking back to the past as well when we're thinking about future technologies that might help and looking to Indigenous knowledge and practices. Why is that helpful? I mean, there's two parts to this. In the book, I look at 16 scenarios that, having canvassed many opinions from all around the world, I think are most likely to be factors when it comes to our future fashion system and world. And one of those is regenerative. And in that chapter, I talk about First Nations wisdom and about not just regenerative agriculture and looking after our soils and environmental systems, but actually that deep knowledge that we can learn from our first peoples. If you think about the history of weaving, it goes back millennia. And if you think about, as we began to speak about connection, I think there is so much to learn by sitting with and walking alongside, for example, our First Nations fashion designers today in the contemporary fashion. But this idea of colonialism, I think, is slightly different. And the phrase waste colonialism has entered our vernacular. And that is about... And if listeners haven't heard of this, it's another one that's going to shock you. That's about what happens to our clothes when we donate them or get rid of them and they don't end up in landfill, but they are non-wearable. That's the word we use in the recycling industry. Or they're of shoddy quality and secondhand. Potentially, they get exported all around the world. They end up in the global south where there are not systems in place to deal with them or recycle them or resell them effectively. And those systems and those patterns of shipping around the world follow colonial lines. So, yeah, we're replicating the patterns of exploitation by dumping our clothes there. We are exporting our responsibility to deal with our own trouble. But there's some really hopeful projects. Let's see if we can get through yeah. a few of them because they're really, really interesting and, and heartening. Tell us about Cindy Rhodes, who has this dream of a closed loop system and is mm. actually making it happen. Yeah, this is actually a hopeful book. I, I mean, I've been sharing some of the bad stuff about how we carry on today, right? But actually, I wanted to write a book that was about solutions, that showed people doing things right now that we can expand as we move into the the near future. Cindy Rhodes runs something called Worn Again. Her background is she was an upcycler, she's British, she was active in the 90s kind of upcycling, no logo movement. But now she runs a tech company, essentially, that's about textile recycling, material to material. So you would get your old T-shirt and then be able to turn it into yarn to make a new T-shirt. That's really important. But Cindy's idea is that in the future we would have recycling hubs that were regional where actually we could do all this stuff onshore or close to home without having to, like I said, export our trouble elsewhere. And I think that's actually starting to happen and it's really exciting. In Australia, we're seeing some amazing textile recycling startups happen. We're speaking with Claire Press, who is a sustainable fashion expert, podcaster, author. Her latest book is called Where Next, W-E-A-R, Fashioning the Future. Well, that uh, that fibre recycling uh, connected to another story you told in the book, Claire, about people who are coming up with great ways to trace where fibres have come from. So you can actually track garments and, and materials. So how does that work? This is also a lovely Australian story. So I mentioned transparency before. That's basically the idea that if we can't see our assets, we can't track them through the system. And when you talk about circularity for fashion, that's what we need to do. We need to know how our 
what's in the textiles that our clothes are made from in order to be able to recycle them effectively or deal with them at the end of life or give them a new life, right? So there are a couple of amazing tech startups that are unlocking some of this for us. One of them is an Australian company called Fibertrace, which has figured out a way to put a luminescent marker inside fibres, wool and cotton, at the farm level, and it's invisible to the naked eye, right? But what it allows then us to do is to use a special scanner that Fibertrace also produces and then log on the blockchain exactly where that fibre started, even down to the field, the actual field, it's amazing, and then follow where it ended up, i.e. how it was ginned and spun and woven and how it ended up in your T-shirt. That is a game changer. Yes. The, the, the books seem to be full of game changers, actually. Mm-hmm. The life cycle analysis of the suit that made some big changes at one company. Tell us about that story. Oh, yeah. So an Australian menswear brand decided that they would like to look at the life cycle analysis of their best-selling wool suit. And life cycle analysis is basically like, what does that carbon footprint look like? Can we understand where the sustainability problems are? as we make and create and sell this garment. And they found out that the lion's share of the carbon footprint actually came down to the farm. And so they set off on this epic adventure to try to reduce that and to, well, it's a long story, but essentially they fed the sheep on a particular farm in Tasmania, Asparagopsis, which is a red seaweed grown in Tasmania that's been shown to reduce the methane levels of sheep and ruminants. So they were reducing how much the sheep belched out methane on the field level. And then they traced this fibre through that whole process of spinning, turning it into, in the end, it had to be a jumper because they couldn't make a suit on shore. And then this is the best bit. They didn't want to move this wool uh, from Tasmania to Victoria where it would be processed using any fossil fuels. So they found this crazy adventurer, his name is Two Dogs Ratu, who was willing to cycle it and then sail it (laughs) just by the wind power alone to the factory in Geelong. Brilliant. I love that. And it sounded like, you know, every step of the process was available in Australia, except for the weaving of the the high quality suits. But that's still quite a hopeful story, isn't it? That, you know, a lot of the cogs are there in this machine that might make fashion better. We mentioned um, people making some choices and changes and the texts have come in. I'm with you about op shops, says H from Inverloch. I've made a pledge. No new clothes this year. Yes. Yes, it works, she says. Or he, I'm not sure. Op shops and markets are great and handy hand-me-downs too. Uh, Another says, ideally clothes should be compostable. And this one too, Claire, we have a right to know what's in our clothes. Toxins in the dyes, microplastics, etc. Labels should mention everything, including zips, buttons, interfacing, etc. What about the dyes, if we focus on that for a moment? Because you found someone who's uh, doing something interesting to remove some of the chemicals from the dyeing Mm. process. Can I just say... The commenters are amazing, right? This Mm -hmm. conversation has advanced so much in the past few years. People really know about this stuff and they want solutions. I love it. Um, I write in the book in a chapter called Biointelligent about the possibility of switching out fossil fuels which are used in conventional synthetic dyes for algae. And there's a lovely story about this, I want to say slightly crazy, amazing scientist, young female scientist in the UK, who writes about co-creating with the algae. She thinks of them as friendly bacteria and little friends that she's working with to help figure out how they want to colour the cloth, which 
I quite love. She's basically saying it's not in her process. It's hard to have standardization, as in she can't guarantee what shade of green this thing's going to be. But she's like, just go with it. Let the algae decide what kind of green they want. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? Because some people might think, look, designers are not going to go for some of these things because yeah. it would be a constraint on their creativity. What do you think? You know what, I want to come back to what the caller said before about op shops and one of the chapters that is titled Less. So, yes, I want to see, and I think we will see, designers and businesses in the fashion world innovating and using these more sustainable processes. But I also think we need to consider less. We need to have a bit of a wrestling with our hyper-consumptive culture and think about dialing it back. Do we really need that new thing? Can we actually get more aware of what we've already got? The most sustainable garment is the one you already own. And actually, can we make a delightful future scenario out of less? Can we flourish within boundaries and within the idea of less instead of feeling like that's like making us a bit hard done to, you know? Yes, I guess because you you kind of think, okay, well, I could buy a $300 pair of locally made Australian designed jeans or I could get a wardrobe for the kids from one of the fast fashion Absolutely. markets. And do you we know need, what? Yeah, yeah top down on. change as well. Thank you. I think we do. I think we need cultural change. First of all, I would say I think we need a whole suite of different solutions, even within this one person's wardrobe. You're not just going to say, I'm um, most of us are not going to say, only op shop for me from now on. Although in the book, I do talk to people who do that challenge for a year. But I think we've got to consider affordability. We've got to consider that everybody has different needs. And it's a privilege to think about this stuff, right? If you're doing it tough and you're worrying about getting food on the table, then I don't expect you to start reading labels and worrying about supply chains and spending more on your clothes. But... Do we need top-down change? We do. We need greater regulation. And interestingly, that is happening. And then we need, well, it's three things. Regulation, we need the brands to change, and we need the customer. And in the book, I kind of make the case for let's not be customers. Let's not just be consumers. We need us to change our attitude to what we really want out of life. And I'm going to make the strong case that it doesn't have to be shopping Ooh, <laughs> radical, clear press. Uh, so lovely to talk to you. Always really fascinating and really exciting to hear about some of these things that are in the works now and, and making change already. Thanks so much for joining us on Life Matters. Oh, I feel so lucky. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Pleasure. Claire Press is a sustainable fashion expert and podcaster and her latest book is called Where Next, W-E-A-R, Fashioning the Future. Lovely text popped in from Heather. One of the best things I've done since retiring is joining the Embroiderers Guild in Melbourne. Lots of recycling there. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.